Hi, I'm Madonna. I'm your worst nightmare. To rule the world. Why don't you show them what you do, honey? You've never had more fun with anyone else. People, people, we gotta move on to the next song. Somewhere Sweet, and I'm a bitch. You know what I mean? And that's always been the way it is. I'm, I'm a human being. <laughs> I'm waiting. This is Bane Gibby, and you're listening to MLVC, the Madonna podcast. Hey guys, it's Tony. Welcome to MLVC. Hey everybody, it's Stefan. Yes, you are joining us for a special episode of MLVC, the Madonna podcast, your place for all things Madonna, Louise, Veronica, Ciccone. And today on the show, we are pleased to be joined by actress and author, Bane Gibby. Bane, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Very exciting to have you on the show. Yes, you're this- Bane, for everyone listening, you're Bane, you're what I like to refer to as a Madonna adjacent guest. i love it you know like yes maybe you've not worked with madonna yet but you know it's uh you're you're in the you're in the 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 like second to madonna world it could happen it could happen it's definitely in the realm of possibility (laughs) yeah well actually because you worked on the comeback with james burroughs and james burroughs directed Will and Grace, and Madonna was on Will and Grace. So basically, it's almost mm-hmm. as if you've worked with Madonna. Yeah, it's very close. Very close. Wait a minute, Stefan. Why don't you give Bane a proper introduction and let everyone know what she does and yes, where um, she's, where she's going to go from here? Who, who, <laughs> who is Bane Gibby? Everyone's sitting there wondering. No, they're not. Bane Gibby is an actor, writer, and director, though she may best be known for her role as Gigi on the wonderful HBO series, The Comeback with Lisa Kudrow. Bane has been in a plethora of film and TV projects. She's appeared in the Oscar-nominated film Lady Bird. She portrayed Connie for two seasons on the HBO series Enlightened, starring Laura Dern. Her other television credits include Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Shameless, which was on Showtime, Hot in Cleveland, Opposite Betty White, she's been on Bones, Two Broke Girls, Mad Men, Parks and Rec, Sex and the City. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's amazing. She can be seen regularly at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater LA in the musical improv show Magic To Do. And her first children's book, You Mean the World to Me, published by Scholastic, has sold over 90,000 copies, which is not too shabby. So, Bane, that's an amazing, that's only a brief little whiff of your career. I know you've been super busy for years and years and years. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, you you made me sound so good. (laughs) Well, (laughs) it's not hard. (laughs) (laughs) How, how is, before we ask you any questions, how, how are you doing? How during these pandemic crazy days in LA, how is LA treating you? I'm doing all right. You know, I was saying to someone this morning, I feel like I'm on a little Island by myself Mm. because I basically went into lockdown on March 12th was sort of the day I woke up and things started getting canceled. And we were supposed to actually have a show that night at the UCB. And I got a message saying, you know, the show is not happening tonight and for the near future. And I was thinking at the time, oh, maybe, you know, we'll miss 
like three shows, you know, mm-hmm. like three Thursdays <laughs> um, without really knowing. <laughs> Little what, did what. we know. <laughs> we didn't know. We really didn't know. And, um, and so, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing my best. I, I live in, in Hollywood and luckily I have the kind of setup where I have um, a courtyard where I kind of can see some of my neighbors. We sort of share a courtyard so I can come outside and, you know, have a conversation with other humans. Um, Like Melrose Place? (laughs) Is it like Melrose Place, the TV show? It's very similar, except we don't have a pool. Oh, which okay. I then it's more like Mulholland Drive then. <laughs> um, it's really fun because um, last the last couple of Saturdays, we've done things like we put a movie screen outside and we all could sort of sit a distance from each other and, and watch a movie. Oh, and we fun. watched, um, we're doing sort of eighties and nineties nostalgia. We did private Benjamin last oh, week. Love. Nice. And then we did the full Monty <laughs> and we did a league of their own. And if you haven't revisited any of these gems recently, I highly recommend it they were oh i cry at a league of their own on a pretty much like yearly basis at, at one point it's yeah it's i think there. i've seen it a couple of times in quarantine and yep every time it'll come the waterworks so amazing <laughs> but it's been that's been um a lifesaver to just sort of be able to you know interact a little bit with people um yep. and i miss everything um i miss everything <laughs> i miss yeah. My friends, I miss work. I miss everything. So um, it's nice to get to connect with you guys over oh, the internet you. today. Yeah. Bain, let me ask you a question. Um, I'm actually very concerned about the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. I know they closed the one here in New York. And um, what are what's the status of UCB in Los Angeles? Um, the status is, I think, they're going to make it through and they're going to implement some changes in terms of the way that it's, that it's run. And mm-hmm. there's going to be a, a board of directors from what I understand. And so the original UCB four will sort of be passing the baton um, to a board of directors. Wow. That's and, great. And um, I, I'm confident that they'll make it through. I mean, of course we don't know, Mm-hmm. This has gone on, I think, longer than we expected. But I, I really hope to be back soon and up on the stage. And um, there's two locations here, as you probably know, Franklin yeah. and Sunset. And I'm a regular at Sunset. And um, fingers crossed, they'll yeah, you know they'll be back up and running soon. And hopefully back in New York, you know. Yeah, I know that was that was that was a hard one. That was a hard one. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh... Do you, do you still do um, improv with Jessica? Yeah, yeah. So Jessica and I, Jessica Allen, or Jessica Eason, as some of you know her, um, we are on an improv group together called Ms. Jackson. And Ms. Jackson yeah. started 20 years ago for the uh, Del Close Marathon in New York. Mm-hmm. And basically there were a few of us that – put um, our name into the lottery to get a slot. This was the very first Del Close marathon. And we didn't have a name and we had, hadn't had really performed together before. We were just a couple of friends. And it was Jess who they said, well, what's your group name? And and um, she said, 
Ms. Jackson, you know, she just like, sort of picked <laughs> something out of a hat, uh, not knowing that we would last for 20 years. So anyway, the, the long story <laughs> short is that not only did we get selected for the lottery, but we got the 11 o'clock Saturday night slot before Tina Fey and all of her friends. And so it was like Rachel Dratch and Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. It was like the group that everyone was coming to see. And we, because it was a lottery system, we just happened to be going on right before them. And so we were like, oh my gosh, no (laughs) pressure. (laughs) It was one of those things where... I think because of the sheer adrenaline, we just went out there and crushed it. And then Mm. when we were outside, people were like, well, where can we see you? Like, what's the show? Do you have a website? And we were like, I guess we're a group now, you know? So (laughs) the beginning of this really amazing um, thing that has lasted and lasted. And we don't perform regularly anymore um, just because a lot of uh, the members are moms of very young kids now and we were doing we were getting asked to do slots at like midnight and stuff like that and they were like ah, we can't do this anymore um but whenever we get asked to we we have these we wear these um adidas sweatsuits are our uniform we have matching adidas sweatsuits so yeah. we pull out the sweatsuits and we get them on and um and we do a set and it's you know it's really kind of amazing because not only is everybody an incredible improviser they are my best friends. So mm-hmm. it's always just so much fun. And Jessica and I did a, a two-person show together for a festival um, last summer. And it was, you know, one of the best things that I'd done ever. It was like, we just have the greatest time when we're on stage together. So yeah, I love seeing her pop up in commercials every now and again. I because <laughs> I I manage the acting studio that she used to study at in New York City. And um I it's a fun little game that I play with myself all the time where it's like I'll be watching commercials and I'll be like, oh I know that actor. Oh I know there that she actor. Is. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean so I think one of her latest commercials that I always loved was that wait, where's your brother Charlie? Yeah the where's Liberty Charlie? Mutual. Charlie? Charlie Yeah 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 I love that commercial. <laughs> Yeah, and she's going to be on the Netflix series The Babysitter's Club that's coming out <gasps> oh, very nice. soon. And oh, so she go. has a very large recurring role. So Oh nice. I was just reading out that Alicia Silverstone is I guess well, I guess she's not a babysitter, so <laughs> she's, a mom. Mom. <laughs> she's the mom of the babysitter. Yeah. Process process of elimination. She's not one of the kids and she's not <laughs> one of the babysitters. <laughs> That's scary that we um, live in a world where Alicia Silverstone is now one of playing one of the mothers. I know. That, I know. That's, what, that's what threw me off. I was like, oh, I guess I'm a parent too. Yeah. I know. It's, <laughs> right. it's, it's shocking for me too when, you know, like I the breakdowns that I get, you know, have, have morphed and changed. And <laughs> I used right. to sort of be like, young mom. Oh, I'm too young to be a young mom. And now I get like, she's an older mom. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> did this happen? <laughs> She's the mom of a college age student. I'm like, I oh, never, geez. but no, I, I yeah. could be. So <laughs> I know yeah, as a, as a photographer, I photograph models who are like 20, 21, 22. And I'm like, God, I'm old enough to be their father. <laughs> it yeah. happens in a blink. It happens in a blink. Yeah, I know. They just grow up so quick. <laughs> All right. So before anything else, I have to bring up the comeback. You were on mm-hmm. the comeback as Gigi, one of the, I think the only female writer in the the 
the room yes. and board writers room. Mm-hmm. Um, for anyone listening, if you've not watched HBO's series, The Comeback with Lisa Kudrow, please, after this podcast, immediately go and watch The Comeback. It is the best show that you've never seen, seriously. I uh, when it, it did a first season and then got canceled by HBO because it was just too smart for everyone. And then 10 years later, it came back for an e- even more amazing second season. Um, I can't say enough good things about it. That was the first time our guest, Bane Gibby, sort of came into my consciousness. She mm-hmm. was amazing as Gigi. And so, yeah, I just kind of wanted to like fawn over the comeback for a little bit. What, uh, what, what was it like? Me. What was it like being able to act opposite Lisa Kudrow as Valerie Cherish? It was incredible. And basically a masterclass. Um, I had been a massive Friends fan mm-hmm. um, from the from the beginning. And somebody reminded me after the comeback came out that we were in this, um, I won't even say it was a bus and truck tour because that makes it sound too fancy. It was <laughs> like a children's theater tour that we we drove around New Jersey in a minivan was sort of one of my first jobs out of college. And I mean, I remember thinking like I had made it. It was, it was, um, you know, it was the beginning and what were the audiences like? Well, they were children and they were usually talking and screaming and throwing things through the entire thing. I mean, when I say it was, you know, uh, like a very humbling experience, it I was getting paid. And so I thought, you know, this is, this is professional, you know, this is professional Mm -hmm. theater. And, (laughs) um, and we told these traditional, um, we told these traditional sort of stories, um, in this sort of unconventional way. And I met some amazing people and we drove around and one of them reminded me, um, that we had been playing some game in the van and they had said, you know, if you could work with anybody, um, in the world, who would you work with, uh, in a dream scenario? And I had said Lisa Kudrow. Oh, and nice. so it was really, uh, it was really incredible. The way that it happened was I had had my very first television, uh, job on sex in the city, the final season. Mm-hmm. And I had my very first speaking role and, I had met um, Michael Patrick King that way. And, oh, of course. Um, you know, we, I had auditioned for him. I had gotten the part. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have any of the things that you're supposed to have. So it was kind of this dream scenario to all of a sudden be on the set of Sex and the City. And I had no idea what I was doing. And he remembered me. And I was in New York at the time. And I went on tape for the comeback and I was reading for the role of Jane and the casting director. Jane, 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 absolutely not. Jane, Jane, no, we cannot use this. No, Jane. (laughs) Um, So I read for Jane and the casting director had said, um, you know, this, it was the same casting director for sex in the city. And she had said, you know, this is sort of a technicality because this is an LA based show and they're going to really cast it from LA but they just are having us put some New York people on tape, you know, but listen, this is probably not going to happen. And I remember just having this feeling that, that I, that it could happen, 
You know, mm-hmm. I just was like, well, I know she's saying these words, but I'm still going to treat it like it like it could happen. And so did the audition and I had, I just had some sort of intuitive feeling that something was about to change in my life. I mean, I was really struggling in New York and I was working all these odd jobs and barely, barely, barely making things piece together. And I just remember having this feeling. Um, I walked all the way down from midtown to downtown. I was going to see a show and I walked like 50 blocks because I was just like jet propelled from this feeling of like, I think I just put something in motion. I'm not Mm -hmm. really sure what. And a few months later, um, or maybe a few weeks later, I found out that I was down to the final two people for Jane. And then I found out that I didn't get it, but they said, listen, the role of Jane was written for Laura Silverman. Mm-hmm. And basically they had you as the second choice because they, they had to have a second choice, but it was, it was always going to be hers. Um, but they really like you and they're talking about this other character that if it goes to series, they are really interested in writing for you. And I got super excited. And the people that were were kind of stepping in to represent me at the time, because I didn't actually have representation. So it was sort of like someone was doing me a favor and kind of like uh-huh. piecing this together for me was like, you know, they say these things and they don't mean it. And it's just a way of saying it like, so you don't feel as bad when you don't get the part. And again, (laughs) I remember being like, I hear the words that you're saying, but I don't believe the words that you're saying. (laughs) I just have this feeling that this, you know, this something might come to fruition. And sure enough, when the show got picked up, which was in uh, March of 2005, I, out of the blue, got a phone call that said, um, you know, so they want you to play this, this role. Um, She's a writer. I didn't even know the character name or anything about it. And they said, can you get yourself to LA? Can you fly to LA? And this was like a Tuesday, I think. And they were like, they would love to have you on the set on Thursday. And I was like, "Oh, geez. Oh, yes, I can do that. And I just sort of <laughs> made it happen and got myself here and showed up to Paramount Studios and was like really thrown in the deep end where all of a sudden I was doing a table read and I was doing a fitting. And then the very next day was my birthday and it was like the first day of shooting. And they put a puppy in my arms. That was the very first scene. I was holding the puppy (laughs) and I was talking to Valerie outside the studio. And I remember thinking, this is so surreal because what if it turns out that I don't have any idea how to act? <laughs> like, you know, I totally had that moment where I was like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> and I have to hold this little tiny baby puppy at the same time. And so, uh, so we, we, you know, we're off to the races and we're doing it. And Lisa just turned to me at one point and she goes, God, you're good. <laughs> and nice. it was all that I needed to kind of take a, an exhale and go, no, I can do this. And, and somehow everything aligned to get me here and I don't have to, to stress. And everything that happened on that set, um, they just kept reassuring me that all I needed to do was go with my instincts because they Mm -hmm. wanted everything to seem so grounded and real. So even the clothes that I wore on the show, they sort of took pictures of what I was wearing when I got to the fitting, 
they were like, we're just going to do other versions of what you actually are wearing. Um, cause they wanted it to just seem like this girl who had come from New York, who was a writer. And, um, so it was a really incredible first big job because I was never made to feel alienated. Mm-hmm. I was just made to feel like we just want you to do what your instinct is to do and you understand who this girl is and the vulnerability of this girl and we just want you to do that. And that's a huge gift to get yeah. as a as a new actor. It's mm-hmm. super rare and Lisa was always so supportive of me and um and I would just watch her and kind of study how uh, detailed she was, how meticulous she was, uh, a total workhorse, always mm-hmm. wanting things to be better, always wanting things to be the best they possibly could. And it was it was just very special. It was very special. Was she always in character as Valerie Cherish, or would she flip in and out? Well, she had to flip in and out because she was – it was sort of her show. She produced it. She was kind of running the show on top of being in the show and it was her vision. And so she kind of had to make sure that, you know, things looked right and it Mm -hmm. was the right tone and it wasn't too over the top. And so she, um, was always super focused. There was not a lot of, of chit chat because if she had downtime, she had something else she could be doing other than mm-hmm. you know talking about how was your weekend and all that stuff. So <laughs> it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't super, um, like, uh, chit chatty and, and, and fun. It was more like, you know, let's get down to business. And then she would just give me that reassurance that, you know, it was working. And, um, yeah, she was. She had a lot on her plate, and yeah. um, I, she, I also found that really inspiring too because she was the boss, you know, mm-hmm. and she wanted everything the way she wanted it, and um, but in a but in a way that that was well received and respected, and people people wanted you know wanted to be to be on on board and make it make it right, so. Yeah, yeah. It was. It's a. It's a wonderful show. We we don't have to spend more time talking. Even though I would like. I mean, I could spend a whole hour talking about that show. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you got to work with the very late great Robert Michael Morris, who played Mickey yeah, on the so show. Good. I mean, he was such. A, he's such a wonderful character on that show. Um, and it's, I love that you got to come back in the second season and do a cameo. I mean, that literally is one of the most memorable moments of the second season. I love that. And Valerie's line after you have your big monologue, you know, which, well, that's a cautionary tale of what happens, you know, like it's, it's what happens. It's a cautionary tale when you spend your whole life, you know, in, in Hollywood, you know, like, and now then you find yourself eating just out of bag of kale chips in the supermarket, you know, like it's, it's just so brilliant. Yeah. I felt so lucky. And, 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 and it was really crazy because we were shooting in this grocery store and there were people actually shopping in the grocery store and it was kind of like mayhem and it was 
a million degrees. And so we were trying to get the scene shot before the prosthetics literally melted. And they were like, we got to get this shot. They're going, they're starting to curl, you know, know? and all I could think of was, you know, this is the stuff they don't teach you in acting school. Like you learn how to act, but then there's so much that's these crazy outside factors. I mean, I I remember one of the takes in the grocery store, we were right in the middle of this like huge moment and someone cut right in front of me to like grab something off the shelf who was just a shopper. (laughs) I was like, what is happening? (laughs) And they were like, keep going, keep going. Um, And you don't, you know, it's like uh, the prosthetics and the fat suit and everything. And, and, you know, this, these are the kind of things that um, are, can kind of you know, make or break a shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have to kind of muscle through and, and, and make it work. And, um, and I was so happy to be included and I was so thrilled that it was such a potent, beautiful scene. And I just wanted so badly to get it right because I felt mm-hmm. like it was such a, such a, uh, it had the potential to be really, um, powerful. And, uh, mm-hmm. I just rewatched it recently cause I was looking at clips for my reel and, um, and it was just really fun to revisit it. And especially that moment where you see, you know, you have this, this heavy ending where she says, you know, don't show this to anyone, Jane. Uh, you know, women are not allowed to cry in this business. And then yeah. she walks out of frame and then she just says, like, oh, she's you know, a cautionary tale. <laughs> yeah. It's, now, is is that improvised? Or, I mean, I'm assuming the lines you were given in that scene, it's scripted. But are a lot of this, is it all scripted or is a lot of it improvised like they do on Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yeah, no, I was wondering too, like how much of the dialogue is is scripted and how much do you guys bring to the It scene? was very meticulously scripted. Um, it's all there. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, um, there is very little that's improvised, you know, maybe that's... a little beat here and there, but a lot of people ask me that because it does seem like it has the same feel as curb and, mm-hmm. um, you know, curb is very much, um, like an outline, and then right. you, I actually did curb this past season, but my scene got cut. So oh. you know, it's very much, you know, like little bullet points and then you just fill it in, which is also so fun. What but, was your scene in Latte Larry? Yeah, I was in Latte Larry. I, oh, knew, are you I knew it. I knew it was going to be Latte Larry. <laughs> this past season was everything I needed. It was, it was so amazing. The, Jan, the John Hamm episode was yeah. my favorite. It was so incredible. Um and that's its own, you know, that's its own thing. And then, you know, on the comeback, there was every little detail was sort of in there. And then there would occasionally be some some little buttons here and there and some embellishments. But one of the things that I really enjoyed was that she would like to, um, Lisa would like to sort of improvise as a ramp up into the start of the dialogue, oh, nice. sort of, which was 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 always very comforting to me so that, you know, just as they were saying, like, you know, everyone's settle and stuff, she would be like, Oh, okay. So what do you think? You know? And then she would kind of start talking to me in as character. Yeah, yeah. As Valerie, we would sort of like get the juice flowing a little bit. And then when they would say action, we would, we would like get out onto that playing field of, of the dialogue. Um, it was always thrilling, always thrilling. Mm. Bain, I have a couple of questions about um, the shows that you've been on. Like, for example, The Comeback, Sex and the City, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Parks and Rec, Enlightened. So 
all of these have some like amazing showrunners, like for mm. example, Michael Patrick King, Aline McKenna, mm. uh, Mike Schur, and Mike White. What is something you've learned that you've taken on to other you know jobs from each of these showrunners? Because I'm sure you you can't walk away from these sets and not have picked something up, right? Oh my gosh, yeah, they're all they're all amazing. I mean. The thing that stands out about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Aline and Rachel um, was that was the first show that I'd done where there were female showrunners. And it was a very um, pivotal moment for me because I think a lot of the roles that I'd done – I had gotten sort of used to being a character that was an underdog and um, maybe even somebody that you felt a little sorry for. And I love these characters because I think these characters can be really layered and Mm -hmm. detailed and they don't have to be a caricature and they don't have to be one note. But I was often sort of covered in, you know, a lot of layers of clothing and, you know, my body was kind of totally covered. And when I booked the crazy ex-girlfriend job, they said, okay, so, and then there's this scene, like you're going to, the table read, they said, and your song is, um, you know, you're in a bathing suit and you're in a pool. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Rewind. Be in this bathing suit and you're going to be like in the pool, just kind of like dancing around. And I'm like, you guys want me in a bathing suit and you want me, you know, like, yeah. Um, and it was a completely different feeling. It was, um, yeah, we want to see you, um, as a lawyer and we're going to tailor these, these suits to you and we want to make you look beautiful and you're going to be in these heels and, um, and then, you know, you're going to be in this bathing suit and you're going to walk or or do the shot of you where you walk around the pool first and then you get in and, it made me realize how used to I had gotten, it had just become normalized. So it didn't even really occur to me anymore that, um, the messaging I was getting was like, cover, cover her, you know, Mm -hmm. like put a, put a, I was like, I'm going to be wearing a bathing suit cover. Right. Like, no, you're going to be walking around the pool in your bathing suit. And then we're going to see you get into the pool because you are a human person who looks like a normal (laughs) human person. And, and I had just gotten used to this feeling of, well, of course, we're going to give you a nice blanket to cover yourself with, you know, kind of thing. And it was very eye-opening for me because I really did feel beautiful shooting that and I felt very empowered. And I realized how I had sort of let that possibility get out of the equation for a long time. Mm -hmm. And they kind of reminded me of it. And at the wrap party, I managed to grab Aline right before she was hopping in her Uber um, because I just hadn't had a chance to express it to her. And I said, I just want you to know how powerful it was for me to be allowed to look beautiful. And I didn't have to put on an oversized cardigan and I didn't have to wear an elastic waist pants. And you let me see myself in that light and you let everybody Mm -hmm. see me in that light. And she goes... I get it. I, I see you. I, I mm-hmm. see you and I think you're beautiful. And it might sound simple as, I, as yeah. I'm telling the story, but um, 
when you're a character actress, sometimes you're put a little bit in this one box or in this little corner and people are really surprised um, sometimes when they see me out in the out and about, they're like, "Oh, you're pretty! Like you're cute! Um, <laughs> like you know, I I didn't picture you this way or whatever." And I was like, "This is who I am in my life. This is who I am in my life, and it's a little mm-hmm. different from the way I've been allowed to be uh, portrayed in these roles." And so I was so grateful to Crazy Ex Girlfriend for pushing me out of my comfort zone and 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 letting me do those things and showing me that. Um, maybe in this particular case, it took female showrunners to go like, yeah. yeah, Bane is like an every woman. She's, she, she doesn't have to stay in this little box. Mm-hmm. Um, right. so and, and, and women wear bathing suits without cover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, nobody, Bane, I feel like-, like regular people don't go to the, into the, into the bath or into the, the pool with a, a huge muumuu wand, you know? Like, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> No, and I, I think that the tide is turning, you know, as as we go back now, um, there's going to be a lot more women showrunners, a lot more people of color, you know, running shows and, you know, telling Amen. stories that we weren't seeing or hearing before. You know, I mean, I, I'm Latin American and I love seeing myself on screen finally, you know, mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. all these years. So, um, yeah, I, I love that story because it, it it is it is indicative of what's going on right now in in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Yes. I can't wait. I can't wait to get back to work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and work with all these, these people. Um, yeah. So that, that stands out. And then, you know, the brilliance of Mike White, I, I, I can't I'm say I'm obsessed enough. with him. I've watched Pasadena like 50 million times. And, it's, and he's, it's, yeah. he's just such a singular, brilliant person. And he, I was just so, uh, I, I loved that job. And I, and I loved the world of Cogentiva and I loved, um, getting to be in that strange office and we would get loopy because the lighting was like this fluorescent lighting. And Mm -hmm. we shot for really long hours on that show and we would be fake typing and, um, we would get kind (laughs) of totally punchy (laughs) at like two in the morning and be like, is it day? Is it night? I don't know. And, you know, Mike, I, I don't know if this is, this is really known, but there was no writing staff on Enlightened. Oh, I didn't know that. Mike wrote every episode by himself. Wow. Like he was the writing staff. And apparently he wrote the entire first season prior to presenting the pilot to HBO. So when they said, you know, so where does the season go? Which is, I guess, one of the questions you ask in a pitch meeting. He said, here, you know, and he presented the entire season and it was completed. And that's just sort of amazing because it was his singular vision. Um, You know, he conceptualized of the idea with Laura, but when it came down to the, the, you know, there was no room, there was no people like mm-hmm. doing punch-ups. That was all No him. poly G? No, there was no poly <laughs> G. There was no GG. Exactly. Um, yeah. So um, that is just so completely impressive to me. And he had uh, such a strong vision of what he wanted the show to be in the tone and how he wanted it to feel. And I think it's very much the way he is in the world, which is he is very much an activist Mm-hmm. Um, he is very much an environmentalist, an animal activist, and um, 
that really, you know, that comes through in his work, you know, through the character of Amy Jellico of like someone feeling like they're in the middle of this situation. They want to make a change. They're kind of shaking their fist to the man. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a theme you see throughout, um, some of his, his movies where it's really somebody trying to, to get people to listen and to make Mm -hmm. changes. And, um, I just love him. I think he's so incredibly smart and he was just always encouraging me and everybody else to, you know, kind of add as much detail to these characters, you know, um, I remember at the callback for, for Connie, my character, there was somebody who said, who was kind of like poo-pooing it, like, well, it's like this tiny part anyway. And like, I don't know, like, what can you really do with it? You know? And I There's remember- There's no such thing as small parts. Exactly. And that's something <laughs> exactly. that my mom used to say to me when I was a kid, because if I got cast in the school play or the community theater play and I got, you know, the chorus or something, I would be- upset. And she would say, you know, there's a lot you can do with a small part. If you really mm-hmm. look at every opportunity you have to make it detailed. And that was sort of what I did, um, with Connie, right from the callback. I, I remember I used like a, a piece of paper. I used my script as like a keyboard and I put it under and I kind of really tried to make tons of details in the, in the, the sides that I had, which were fairly minimal at the time. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that I would do when we were filming was like, okay, I'm sort of in the side of this, this shot, but like, maybe I can do something that's, that's interesting. And like always just sort of trying to mine every detail that you can from, from the scene. And it's a great practice because, you know, you, you, if you're on some, I remember I was on this other show, which will remain nameless. And I was like, sort of at the bar, sort of in the side of a shot. And I said, like, do you want us to, you know, be talking? Do you want us to be drinking? Do you want it to look like we're happy? And the director's like, it really doesn't matter, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, sometimes you encounter that. They're like, it doesn't matter. You're, you're like not the important thing in this, you know, in this scene, but on enlightened, it was like, he wanted everybody to feel like they were these, even the, even the recurring extras, like, because they're, they're, their faces were so important. Their bodies mm-hmm. were so important to contributing to the tone of this world. Like he wanted everybody to feel like they were part of creating, to creating this mood. And um, I just loved it so much. I was so sad when we didn't get a third season because I thought there was another part of that story to be told, which was the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very sad we didn't get to d- get to tell that part of the story. But it was, um, it was just so amazing to get to work with him. He's, he's just, he's very smart and he's very, very singular. That is so cool. I can't wait to see what he comes up with next. If not a third season of. Never say never. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. So you've basically, you've been working with, and uh, there's the theme of your, a lot of your work is you're working with all these amazing women actresses. Mm. So you've done Lisa Kudrow in The Comeback. You had Rachel Bloom in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, you had, obviously, Amy Poehler in Parks and Rec. Laura yeah. Dern in Enlightened. Um, I mean, I was impressed and, again, jealous that you got to work with Betty White on Hot <laughs> in Cleveland. I mean, yes. that like, the last remaining Golden Girl, and you got to do a scene with her? Like, that's amazing. She, she is unbelievable. She's, I mean, 
everyone is a fan of Betty White, but I, I really, I've gone deep into, you know, watching a bunch of documentaries about her and I just kind of couldn't believe it. Um, and it was a whole, it was like a whole storyline, um, that I got to be in with her and, um, she's amazing. She, you know, on that show, I, you know, sitcoms are, are really unusual in that the script can change up until show night. So the script you get Monday might be different from the script you get Tuesday and then it changes Wednesday and Thursday. And it's like, they're giving you alterations constantly. So by the time you get to shoot day, which would be a Friday, it it doesn't resemble the script that you originally got on Monday. Mm -hmm. And for a person who is, you know, um, like got a, got a good aptitude for memorization it's super challenging because you're like, wait, was that the Tuesday version? Was that the Wednesday version? It's always changing. And when we shot hot in Cleveland, I think she was 93 Hmm. and she could still memorize the new script every day. She would be letter perfect. She had an assistant who was running lines with her in between in between takes. And then while you're shooting, if you've ever been to a taping, you know that if a joke doesn't land, they basically huddle up and then they run on stage and give you the mm-hmm. new punchline and you just have to kind of learn it really quickly and then do it. And not only could she do that so <laughs> impressively, when they were adjusting things like the lighting and there would be like a, an odd down moment she would be cracking jokes for the audience. Like it was nice. <laughs> just like, it was so effortless and it was so fun to just watch her in her element. And she was so kind to me. We had a bunch of scenes together. And of course I was super intimidated because it's, it's <laughs> Betty White. And um, she turned to me at one point, she goes, you're so funny. And I, uh, I went, oh my gosh, you're so funny. And I think she knows on some level that how big that is when she says mm-hmm. it to somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think it was sort of her way of going to me, you've got this, you're good. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Um, and it was so meaningful and, um, yeah, we just had a lot of fun and she's, I mean, she's, she's a legend, you know, mm-hmm. she just, and you see it, you see it just by watching the way she's, her work ethic. I mean, it's, <laughs> that's obviously a huge part of why she was so successful. I mean, she was still, every chance she got running those lines, you know, getting it better. And and that was really, really impressive to me. Yeah. I think I learned a lot about sitcoms and how they operate because of the first season of The Comeback. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that was such an inside window into like how sitcoms work behind the scenes where I was like, in my head, I'm thinking, no, that can't be real. And right. I was like, no, that probably is how it is. You know, and like with all the rewrites when, especially that, the, I think it was your first episode with the, where Valerie had to do the scene with the, the puppy and it was like, you know, yeah, the Korean barbecue. barbecue. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How she, she was insistent that it was going to vilify her character and, you know, we have to change it. We have to change it. And yeah. So it was, it's sorry, funny. No, it's funny because I was on the comeback before I'd ever shot 
an actual sitcom. So I got the inside window through that, the meta show within the show. And then when I actually started doing a couple of guest stars on sitcoms, I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly. It's real. (laughs) Well, Bane, I found out about sitcom production the hard way. I was in high school visiting LA and somehow our, you know, me and my friends got invited to see a taping of Wings at Paramount. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this will be cool. We can go have lunch afterwards because it's only going to take a half hour, right? Oh, my God. No. <laughs> we were there for about five hours. They oh, wouldn't let us leave. Oh. And I- I'm like... And you're starving. Why? Yeah, I'm like, why can't they get their lines right? I, I Why is the lighting wrong? Why is that, you know? And so I was like picking the whole thing apart. I mean, it was really interesting. But then I... Anytime after that, you know, because in LA, everyone, someone always asks you to go to a sitcom. Yes. I'm like, flat no. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I didn't have any. I I actually had a couple of friends who came to the Hot in Cleveland one because because of Betty. But I've never had anyone come to anything else because they're like, you know, they've done it once. And I went to go see. It's crazy. I mean, I I was in the audience uh, when Michael, Robert Michael Morris was on Will and Grace Um, and I remember being so hungry and they threw like little pieces of candy at us and maybe just being like, ah, like a monster, like give me that chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, I mean, and that show ran like clockwork and even that was, I don't know, I think we were there for five hours and they take your phone and you know, they, you'd like, it, it is, it is not, um, it's not that fun, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a job, you know. I'm not going to invite someone to come watch me work. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if you see it once, you know, you, you're like, oh, I got it. And that's really amazing mm-hmm. the way it works. But, yeah, I mean, those are long. You have to, you have to be a real super fan to do that, I think, mm-hmm. more than once on a show. <laughs> yeah. So you also were in another fantastic, amazing show called Mad Men. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that show. Yeah. That, little, that little show about advertising, you know. Oh, my um, gosh, yeah. Tell tell us how that was, because that's a completely opposite style yeah. from some of the other, you know, loose and crazy, like the comeback or, you know, yeah. like, like Hot in Cleveland, you know, like Mad Men is so period and the, like, I mean, how was just the fittings on that? It, yeah, it's, it's very... Amazing meticulous. I, um, so I had auditioned, I was a big fan of the show right from the beginning. And I had auditioned a couple of times for a couple different things and, uh, not gotten them. And then, um, I got this audition and I remember thinking it was important to sort of, you don't have to wear a full costume, but I remember thinking, you know, it's sort of helpful if you do your hair and makeup in that way so that they see that you can actually transform. So mm-hmm. I had done some sort of like what I thought was the closest thing I could do to make my hair look like sixties and a headband and, um, and thrilled when I got cast. And then they basically lay it out for you where you send your measurements in, but it's not the regular four measurements that maybe you give to someone. It was like, maybe a list of 15 measurements, like, because the clothes are actual vintage. Yeah. They're not replicas. They're the actual clothes and the sizing (laughs) is so different. So it would be like wrist to elbow. 
elbow to shoulder, you know, it's like really specific, um, measurements. So you do that. And then they basically tell you, you're going to come in and you're going to have your fitting and you cannot take any photos of your fitting and you're, you're going to want to, but just don't. And, um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you believe them because it feels very serious. And, you know, you try on all these things that are, that are actual vintage clothes and everything's amazing. And they give you these undergarments that are replicas, but they are replicas of the bras and underwear that people wore at the time. So that even your under, you know, garments kind of give you the shape. You feel like you're in the sixties cause you're wearing the sixties. A hundred percent. I mean, it yeah, was, I was actually going to ask you if it goes all the way down to the underwear. But it went all the way down. Answer. It was very, it was very serious. And I'm telling you that the way that your body looks is different. The bras have a different shape and, mm-hmm. and, um, so then you go in and they do a full dry run of your hair and your makeup. Um, so you actually go to set a totally different day that you're going to shoot. They, they try out the hair and they photograph it and it has to be approved. And I remember I could not believe people thought I was wearing a wig, but it was my hair and my oh, hair was just I like, it was a wig too. right. Cause it's, it's the, the, the <laughs> it, it was the, a little high, the people who work on that show. I mean, the skills that they had were my hair was shoulder length, maybe a little shorter than shoulder length and very flat. And basically what they did was they put all these curlers in and they brushed it like, and it kind of snapped into this, you know, it felt like it snapped into this, this sculpture. And I sent my mom a picture of the hair and makeup dry run. And she was like, that's me. That's me. Yeah, she's like, that's <laughs> what I looked like in college. That's me at the prom. Yeah, because yeah. it was like my mom graduated from college in '64, and she's like, that's the hairstyle I had. That's so funny. Um, they nailed it, and um, and so on the the day of shooting, um, I mean, you really do feel like you're stepping into another dimension and every detail, you know, I had the, I was in the office and I was working at a desk and it was a functioning typewriter. And I actually was told, you know, a lot of times you're told to mime things so that you don't create sound, you know, Mm. but I was told to use the typewriter and actually press the keys and the stationary that's on the desk is, is got the letterhead of the company mm-hmm. and e- like everything is so specific and meticulous. Yeah, did to, you swipe anything from the set? Well, that's, like- that's the thing is that it's, <laughs> that's the instinct. It is like, you want to have some sort of souvenir. And I think I offhandedly said to somebody like, Oh gosh, I like really wish I could just take a piece of the stationery." And they were like, don't trust <laughs> me. Don't. They'll know if you do, and you'll basically be like on a list, <laughs> like a shit list. And so it's probably like, even though the set is sixties, uh, the security system is <laughs> present <laughs> day. Yeah. So as much as I, as much as I, um, as we will pat you down do. on your way out of this to make sure that you haven't <laughs> stolen that thing. Okay? No, I think you sign something though. I believe I, I believe if I didn't sign something, there was a strong 
speech mm-hmm. given. I do remember a strong speech given um, at the table read uh, by Matthew Weiner basically saying, like, you know, don't, just don't. <laughs> just don't talk about it before it's aired. Don't leak plot lines. Mm-hmm. Um, really, the integrity of the show is is really in your hands because that was sort of when social media was first like really blasting. And, um, and he was like, just, just, you know, after it's aired, you can share whatever you want to share in terms of your photos and your behind the scenes, you know, selfies or whatever. But, um, Oh yeah. Did you have any, I was going to ask you if you had like taken pictures with like Christina Hendricks. I did. uh, I have one picture with Christina and Elizabeth Moss and it's, uh, it's very cool because I felt I had been hanging out with them all day, um, for this one, one little section and, you know, we'd just been chatting and they were so kind and so warm and down to earth. And, and at the end of it, I um I was like, hey, you know, can I get a photo? And they were like, oh, you, oh, really? You want one? Um, and I was With like, us? I really do. <laughs> were you in costume or was it out of costume? It was in costume. Yeah, nice. it was like right That's next great. to the right next to where we were sort of sitting on the soundstage, and um, and they were so lovely and such pros, and so it was really fun. I remember I had a great conversation with um, Christina just about um, body positivity and the fact that she was really unwavering in kind of the way that she was um, just moving through Hollywood and not um, apologizing and not, uh, you know, that she had been asked to lose weight or, you know, I can't remember if it was, that was the the exact wording, but um, that she had started as a model and, you know, now she was an actor and she said, you know, I do what I want and I, I don't, um, I just don't, I just don't listen to any of the noise and, um, I eat what I want and I drink what I want and that's my policy. Yeah. And, and she leads by example because she, she takes that to every new role that she's in. Yeah. She's they're, they're Both of them are amazing. I, I was really in awe of, um, cause I think I was on season four and by season four, you know, the, everybody was so, um, comfortable, but a lot of times comfortable actually equals like people get a little sloppy and a little, like a little complacent. And that was definitely not the case on this set. It was like, there was a very high standard of Mm -hmm. what would happen when you came to the set and how it was going to go. And, and the only thing that season four showed you was that everyone felt really comfortable and really sort of enmeshed in the world. Um, but sometimes when you go on a show and it's a later season, it's kind of like, okay, everybody stop chit chatting and, you know, like, come on, let's get to work. We're still doing a show here. You know, (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. a little comfy (laughs) and that, that was definitely not the case. And I loved that because that's why the show stayed so good the entire time. Yeah. It was such a great show. I love that show. Very consistent. Very consistent. So I just realized you have another six degrees of Madonna separation. <laughs> Tell so me. You were in Lady Bird. Yeah. Laurie mm-hmm. Metcalf was in Lady Bird. Uh-huh. Laurie Metcalf was in Desperately Seeking Susan. 
right opposite Madonna. So there, that's I think it even closer well, than, than James Burroughs. I can even I can even bring it in closer. Timothy Chalamet was in it, and he dated Lola, Madonna's daughter. Yes, <laughs> yes that is true. <laughs> yeah, oh, good old little Timothy Chalamet. I love him. Love him. His first acting job was a Dead Body on Law and Order. Chung Chung, there you go. Who, who you know? <laughs> Law and Order regular or Law and Order SVU? I can't remember. I I remember I was mm, watching was, it. Too, I think he would have been too young to be on the original Law and Order. Probably. I that, that was off the air years ago. It must have been one of the iterations. But he, we were, there was a, a Q&A at one of the cast viewings or something. And he, they were asking um, how people had gotten their SAG card. And that was his, he said, yeah, played a dead body on Law and Order. And I was so psyched. (laughs) Is he tiny? He looks like he's a skinny little kid. He's skinny, but he's super tall. Oh, is he? Oh, okay. Yeah. You can never tell. Sometimes I'll I'll pass celebrities and I'll be like, oh, they're shorter than me. Right. Uh, Or like passing Hugh Jackman in the West Village one day. And I was like, oh my God, he is massive. You know, like it's it's one or the other. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, I love Laurie Metcalf. And you didn't get to to do any scenes with her in Lady Bird though, did you? No, I didn't. I didn't even cross paths with her because the day that I was shooting um, for the first, for the daytime, we were doing all the scenes in the gymnasium and it was at a school that was actually in, in session in Pasadena. So every once in a while, somebody would like bang the, the gymnasium door open and be like, what's going, what, what's what's happening in here? (laughs) It's really funny. And you could hear the kids in the hallway. And then for the second half of the day, they shot the scene, which was the sort of Western themed dance in the same space. So I was there for, you know, from early, early in the morning until it got dark. And then we had wrapped and I basically spent the day with Zersha, um, and, um, the other, you know, the other people who were in that, that scene, but I had a lot of time to sit and chat with her. And she was, um, so down to earth that it was almost alarming. (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> like not what you expect. She's like, so what's your story? Like, where where did you grow up? And like, <laughs> let's let's get into it. <laughs> wow. She's just so That's nice. So cool. Yeah, she's so nice. Bane, what was it like working with Greta Gerwig? I mean, did she bring like a full female force, you know, as the crew? I mean, was it like a different experience from other yeah, know, she's amazing. Male directors, for she's, example. Yeah, I really I mean, I really, really hope I get to do something again with her in the future because she's so lovely. She, first of all, one of the things that I, that I love about her is that she made everybody on the set minus the people who were in costume, but everybody who was on the crew who could wear a name tag, Mm. which was so helpful for people who were only there for a day. Um, I've always thought that on television sets too, because when you're only there for a day or two or three, you're just figuring out who people are what while you're like and then you're right. done mm-hmm. um so if you're if someone you, telling you that guy over there is not very helpful right well it's like <laughs> your your adrenaline is going and you're trying to take in all this information and so you can't remember exactly yeah. like wait which person is the sound person and which person is the first ad because you're you know because you have nerves and everything and 
And so trying to remember everybody's you're an name. Actor. You, have to, you have to be in character. How can you expect, be expected to remember the grip's name? <laughs> well, when there's I have like. Lines, I have lines to remember. <laughs> when there's like 30 people and you'd like to be able to call everybody by name. So everybody had a name tag, which I loved because then you could call people by their names and like, you know, which, which I think is a very nice thing. Um, mm-hmm. And she clearly has a very detailed directing style because she probably because she was an actor first. So there was a scene that was cut out of the movie. Uh, I'm sure it's on, it's in the extras that we filmed where, or I was actually watching them film it, but it was um, where she's, um, giving her speech um, to be on the student, you know, council when she's running for president or Lady Bird's running for president. And -hmm. so they shot it at the same time in the gymnasium. And um, she, instead of giving a speech, she does a rap. And um, (laughs) it was really funny because it was like when I applied to be applied, when I was campaigning to be the vice president of my seventh grade class, I did a rap and it was really, really embarrassing in retrospect. I didn't think it was that embarrassing at the time, but it was really embarrassing when I think about it. And it was sort of, it had the same vibe where there were maybe three people, like Lady Burke does this really earnest rap. And there's like two people in the auditorium who are like, yeah. And, uh, and the rest of the people are like, oh my God. And, and when, when Greta was directing that, she was playing like right before they would roll the camera, she was playing, um, like clips of Eminem and like dancing with Zersha and like getting her in that mode of like, you think you are a rap star. Like you think you are Eminem. (laughs) And it was very active and it, and it, and it was really, really, it was a really cool thing to watch because, um, it just should have showed how she came at everything like 100%. And, um, she let us improvise. There was some alternate endings of the scene that I was in where she let us kind of improvise and it got really heated between Zersha and I, and, um, and just having that, that freedom, um, to kind of try that on a movie like that was, um, unusual and, it was so exhilarating because she's like, okay, this time do it that you really blow your top, you know, and you get so angry at her and you say some things that, that like are so regrettable that you're, you embarrass yourself because you lose it on a child. Mm -hmm. And then, so then, you you know, it was sort of, (laughs) what's that? I would would have loved to have seen that you were, because I thought in in the movie as it stands, it's like, they're saying such horrible things to you and you sort of like, you just let them, to say it to you. And And then there's so much like embarrassment and shame in that. And that was the, that was definitely the right choice. But there were some, some takes were like, I got really heated and I was like, Oh, you, you just think, you know, everything, don't you? And I was like, just wait until you get into the real world, Missy. (laughs) Like that scene in Bridesmaids when the one girl is buying that, like, jewelry from Kristen Wiig and exactly uh, like goes that. off on her. Oh yeah. I bet you just love yeah. all the men. And then she gets fired. And she goes, and you're a 
bitch, you know, and then her husband walks up. I mean, the, the boss walks up right at that moment. It's like, uh, can I please speak to you? Yeah, it was totally, I remember that one, one line was something like, you know, wait until you get into the real world. And I was like, you're going to be up Shit's Creek with no paddle. (laughs) It was was just like, it just kind of came out of my mouth and it was a really, it was a really fun moment, but I love that they, I love that that she chose something that made it look like Ladybird mm-hmm. was the aggressor, and mm-hmm. I was sort of the the person left standing there, you know, with like bare assed in front of all these children. Because I do think adults are essentially terrified of teenagers laughing at them, like at all times. Oh yeah, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. I am. <laughs> I taught college for a couple semesters within the last few years, and I and I was always like are they laughing at me? Like, do they, (laughs) do they think I'm an idiot? You know? (laughs) I mean, a few years ago, I'm running for the subway, you know, you know, like the the doors closed, so I didn't make it. And these girls are yelling at me, run forest, run. (laughs) And I'm like, I can't say anything to them. They're like 13, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. Because then if you, if you sort of lock in to that level, Mm -hmm. that's when that, fur starts to fly of like, oh, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> Just I know. Cut to me on a subway platform yelling at two teenage girls. You know? <laughs> it's not a, it's I, not a great look. <laughs> I had no. seen a tweet that somebody had said after Trump's rally got rolled over by TikTok and all of the teens who like yes. bought up all the tickets or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I think the tweet, I'm paraphrasing, but the tweet was something like, America has finally learned how to harness the evil and cruelty of teenagers. <laughs> yes, let's let's keep harnessing that energy. Please. Right. 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 Um, well, speaking non not let's go the opposite way. Let's let's yeah. go to a happy place. Mm. Uh, Bane, congratulations on the success of your first children's book. Yes. Thank you. Yes, titled You Mean the World to Me, and yes. which is a a, reins- a reassuring story about a mother's love for her little one. Oh, yes. tell us all about that. Yeah. I mean, I I I want to know what the process is for writing a children's book because it, people make it seem like it's such an easy task, you know. Oh, I just came out with a children's book. Right. But I it's, know I know it's not it's not that simple. It's deceptively one of the most cutthroat industries. What? You would think it would be really warm and like a like a cup of chamomile tea, you know. <laughs> and it's not. So I the way that it happened for me was I had always had an interest in writing children's books. And when I lived in New York, I was, I was writing some, I'm sure they're pretty terrible if I went back and read them. Um, and I kind of ended up putting it on the back burner because I was, you know, doing 5 million other things and trying to be an actor. And, and I moved out here and my two older brothers started having kids and, um, I remember my sister-in-law saying, um, so I would write these books for my nieces and nephews for their birthdays or Christmas. And I would get them laminated at Kinko's and I would use like stickers or little illustrations that I had found. Um, it was very DIY and I, and I would give Mm -hmm. them as presents. And I remember my sister-in-law saying, you know, we're reading a lot of children's books and you know, some of them are really great. Some of them are just really not so good. And some of the stuff that you're writing, I feel like is, is, is on, you know, just, it could be published and you should kind of revisit that. And, um, 
And so I did, and this was maybe about 10 years ago. Um, and so I started writing a ton and really kind of researching and trying to figure out how how you got a, a children's uh, literary agent. And, and it, it seemed, it's almost like acting where it's like you ask someone who's doing it and they go like, oh, like how much time do you have? You know, <laughs> it's like they launch into a long thing about how it's really hard and in so many steps and it is. And so I ended up writing, I don't know, I had maybe 10 or 12 um, manuscripts and I um, was like asking people, if they had contacts, I might've even put something up on Facebook and, you know, does anybody have anyone I could send this to? I'm just like trying to get the ball rolling. And, um, my friend Scott who lives in New York city said, yeah, we have this friend on our kids art. We have, he has twins. He and his partner, um, have twins and they, said, our, our twins play with this other guy's twins, and he works at Scholastic and will send him, you know, your packet. And it was, um, it was like long enough, long ago enough that I sent them like the, the paper packet, and then oh. they handed him, you know, the packet. Um, and I didn't really think anything of it because I was doing a lot of things like that. And and then they contacted me and they said, yeah, he he likes a couple of the things and he's going to call you. And so that sort of started this process of, of me all of a sudden sort of skipping the step of having the agent and going right to kind of the publisher, which never happens. It's very unusual. And he said, so I had written a story to my niece about, uh, called You Mean the World to Me, but it was about being her aunt. Mm-hmm. And kind of about being not the mother figure, but like that fun aunt who was always going to tell you the truth. And um, it had it had a lot of humor in it. And it, it had lines like, um, drink lots of water, eat lots of fruit, and never go skiing in a bathing suit. You know, it was like, it was very like mm-hmm. silly and irreverent. Mm-hmm. And, and the publisher ended up coming back to me and saying, you know, this is fun. Can you make it for a younger age group? And can you make it from the point of view of a mom instead of an aunt? Um, because it's a more universal story. And um, then it could have like a, a higher percentage of, of people who are buying it. And and at this point, I thought, oh, my gosh, it's so funny because that's the manuscript in the packet that I almost didn't include because I thought it was maybe not the best one. <laughs> So it always ends up being like the thing that you think is, you know, maybe your worst thing ends up being the most appealing thing to somebody else. So it always so shows throw in the trash. Throw in the trash. I mean, honestly, you always it, it it just sort of always ends up being that way, right? Where you think like you you really have it nailed which one is gonna be the the top contender and it ends up being like the sleeper, the sleeper one at the bottom of the list. So I was totally <laughs> willing to do whatever. He wanted, and so uh, went on the you know ride of doing the edits, and then and then it just sort of happened, and it took. I mean, the the publishing industry moves super slow. It took about two years from the time they said they were going to publish it for it to come out, um, because that's just the way that that industry works, and um, and it's sold really well. It's for it's for a very young audience, and. Um, it's, it's, it's such a hard industry. I've written so many manuscripts since then, and I have not been able to get a second one sold. Um, and Mm. I'm still determined to do it, but, um, 
it's highly competitive and it's a very saturated market because as you said, there's people who are life lifers doing it, um, who have like 12 books published, 15 books published. And then there's this whole celebrity element. Oh, you mean like Madonna? <laughs> yes. Writing, writing children's books. I was like, I was going to say, I'm like, yeah, she came out with five. It was like, yes. boom, boom. here you go. Here's five children's books and you're going to read them all. And I do remember that they were, they were pretty fun. I feel like yeah, I, yeah. I, I read them to my nieces when they were little and I think English Roses was their favorite. Yes. I remember that I, one. I don't remember some of the other ones, but I, I do know English Roses. They, they I like, love Mr. Peabody's Apples. Oh yeah. That, that, the illustrations <laughs> on Mr. Peabody's Apples is really mm-hmm. good. It's I mean, beautiful. it's just also such a good title. I mean, it's, it's an interesting industry and I realize that I got really lucky. I mean, it's sort of the equivalent of like going to an audition with your friend and then someone saying like, why don't you jump in and do a take? And then you end up booking it. Like that's sort of the audition. And your, and your, and your friend doesn't. <laughs> right. And that's sort of what happened <laughs> with my first children's book. It was like the fact that it got like handed to somebody because their kids played together who happened to be, you know, this person is, is pretty, a pretty unlikely and lucky scenario. Um, which I'm well aware of, but I definitely have aspirations and I am sitting on like a pile of these manuscripts that I think are fun and funny. And so hopefully that has a second chapter to it, but it's been really, it's really, it makes me feel really good when people send me pictures of their kids reading it and they say, oh, you know, we read this every night and we love it. And they, they've memorized the words. Like that's just a very sweet gift that you know mm-hmm. that that experience has given me so i'm super yeah whenever grateful. anyone i know has kids or like a new baby is born instead of giving them like pacifiers or you know formula gift certificates i always go out and buy them a children's book like something that resonated to me when either i was young or something like a newer children's book that i've discovered along the way so i'll, mm-hmm. I'll add yours to my list for <gasps> thank you and it's yeah. you know it's a great price point it's under nine dollars so that's you know there oh, you go it's very affordable um i have i have a confession to make yeah. i um I bought the uh, English Roses audio book because uh, we were in between albums and I had to hear her voice. So oh. I, I just had to say that out loud. Did she do the <laughs> audio for that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have it here. So next time we can record together, I'll play it for you. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think it's that's... It's a yeah, CD. Did, did you do audio for your... Did you do an audio book for yours or is it... They don't that was do my next question. <laughs> um, it exists, but I'm not... Um, you're I'm not, not at liberty to talk yeah, about Yeah, no, it. I think actually that's not <laughs> true. Got, there is no elastic NDA. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just I was gonna say it's not me, but um I think it's actually not because it's so short. It's not an mm-hmm. audiobook, it's an ebook. Um oh, okay. so there is gotcha. a kin there is it there's a version of it in French in the hard book version, and then there is um an ebook of the English and the French. Um but the audiobook would be like uh, two minutes long. <laughs> It'd be like a song. Yeah. Like a little song. <laughs> On a Spotify playlist or something. Exactly. <laughs> um, so you do a lot of improv in LA and I know that because of coronavirus, you are, are not able to do any of your live performances that you've been doing. So I thought 
that it might be a little fun to do some improv here on the podcast for everyone. But not just any old improv. This will be Madonna improv. Um, The the ominous Madonna improv. Um, I I don't know how we can make this work, though. What, What do you think, Tony? Just shout out a song title and... Bane and I can improv a small scene around that. Yeah, what do you think, just, Bane? Does that work? Yeah, let's try ha- it. I happen to have some very descriptive titles, so let me know when you're ready. Yeah, I was going to say, make sure that make sure that they're general enough that Bane and I will be able to work with. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. There there won't be a love profusion in the bunch. Don't worry. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like, I mean, I know hardcore Madonna fans are going to be like, "Ooh, let let them have a a deep cut," but. <laughs> All right, ready. You're radio friendly here. Okay. All right, right, the first one. Bane, how do you want the rules for improv to work? We just tag team between? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think we, because we can't see each other, we'll just sort of pretend we're improvising on the radio. And um, I think the main thing we do is yes and each other, right? Okay, Mm -hmm. yes. I've been ages since I've done improv, so. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, this will be an experiment. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Papa don't preach. Mm, okay. Okay. Dad, I um <laughs> have to tell you something. I um was in the kitchen and I was trying to make a smoothie with the bullet and um some fruit exploded all all, all over the wall. Um I, I see. Well, uh, I, I do love fruit, and I'm, I'm wondering if you think we might be able to salvage any off the wall and use it to make some salad later for your mother. Yeah, I think I think we can do that, and um, I'll just I'll just kind of spoon it off off the wall, and I, and let me just say I'm I'm so glad you're not mad at me because I was ready for you to just really unleash on me, so. I I don't know what this new dad is, but like, thanks for not (laughs) screaming and, and preaching. I'm going to do that later. (laughs) Um, I've just been waiting. Uh, uh, There's a baby in the next room. um, And. Oh, that's why. I want to keep that baby. Uh, from hearing a, a loud ruckus. That's why your voice is, is so measured and calm right now. I, I knew there had to be a reason. Well, if I could just put in put in a request um, for later when we have this conversation, Papa, don't preach. <laughs> I totally I forgot we had to work that. in Papa Don't Preach for a second. I was like, oh, right. That's the, the name of the song. I was so obsessed with the fruit. <laughs> All right. Clear your brains. Okay. Reset. I'm going to give you the next one. Okay, okay we- so are we, can we switch it up a little bit? Can we, can we maybe do a, a Madonna improv where we improvise some like faux Madonna lyrics? Yeah, let's do it. You All like right. Make, um, you give us a what, like a fake Madonna song, and all right, just, here it is. Okay. Uh, for those, this this one's dedicated to all you fans of Truth or Dare. Mm. Oh, geez. It's called "Little Girl Lost in a Storm." 
Oh, okay. Little girl lost in a storm. Okay, so should should, should I just we sing it? Yeah, should just, we just should we just go for it? Yeah, you go and then I'll go and okay. we can text you know, back and forth. Okay, ready? All right, here I'm just not going to think. Okay. Rain drops falling. The rain is coming. It's a storm. It's a storm. Now you. Okay. <laughs> um, she's little and she's tiny and she's wandering through the storm. She's little and she's girly. She's going to walk right through that storm. Little girl lost in the storm. Little girl lost in the storm. Can't find her way back to her dorm. <laughs> Oh, Little girl lost in the storm. <laughs> wow, that's, Love it. that's Madonna's next top 10 hit. If that's not on her next album, I don't know. <laughs> I can't wait to hear the house remix. <laughs> I know, right? I think all it needs is like a huge production value behind it and it will be fine. <laughs> some 808 drums, some Nikki Gandana backing vocals. We've got a hit. Totally. And then just a little like. "Ah, ah." (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. Well, thanks for doing that. I think that's, uh, that that's probably the first and only time we will ever do Madonna improv here. on. Never say never, never say never. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's all about being game, right? Exactly. Exactly. I've already told myself, I made a promise to myself and I think this is a good, uh, exercise for everyone that's out there that wants to support the arts, especially in New York. When UCB opens again, let's all take an improv class, you mm. know? Mm. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'll try to shoehorn Madonna into it, you know, of course, kick me out, yeah. but wow. you know, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> Tony, would you like to do lightning round with Bane today? Oh my God, I've never done the lightning round. I know round you've never time. done it. I was like, <laughs> it's time. I'll, you know what? I, I've had my fill with Madonna improv, so you can do... <laughs> Madonna lightning round. Oh, the pressure. The pressure <laughs> of a lightning round. Okay. Um, Bane, yeah. so we're just going to throw these questions out, and I want you to just give me the first thing that comes to your mind. Mm. Favorite Madonna song? Cherish. Oh, good one. Oh, it's so good. Favorite Madonna video? Vogue. Has mm, to be. Has to, I mean, I know that's the obvious one, but no, it's, it broke our brains, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As Madonna herself wrote in whatever lyrics made the gay boys lose their minds, but I think yeah, it was exactly. pretty much everyone around the <laughs> exactly. world. You know? Um, okay. Favorite Madonna look from a video, photo shoot, award show, movie, etc. Okay. As someone who saw truth or dare in the theater and it was mm-hmm. hugely impactful. I would say, you know how they switched back and forth of the nights she would either, she would have her regular stage costume and it would either be the curly hair or mm-hmm. this, the high pony um, mm-hmm. with the extension. I would say her stage costume for that tour with the curly hair. Yes. My favorite mm-hmm. look. I love it too. And to add a little bit to that, I like it after like towards the end of the show when she's like sweat down those curls. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> no, it's it's a little bit more relaxed curls as opposed yeah, to like yeah. the super 
tight. Like yeah. Yeah. And just, just because it, because there was so much about that movie that blew my mind. It was sort of before we'd seen a ton of reality TV and, you know, mm-hmm. so all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes and getting to see all that sort of raw stuff. Um, it's just, just love it. Love it. Often imitated, never duplicated. Exactly. <laughs> Not even by Madonna, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Bane, we loved having you on the show. I love all this behind the scenes. Um, I wouldn't call it gossip, just behind the scenes. We can say Hollywood gossip, it's fine. We'll just <laughs> Factoids, you know? Intel. Um, intel, um, especially from the comedy world, which seems kind of insular, but not anymore, you know? Um, please take this opportunity to plug any projects that you are working on that are coming out or anything that you just want to throw out there. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm on a lonely Island right now. Um, because I'm on, uh, you know, we're in the middle of the pandemic, so I don't have anything mm-hmm. really specific to plug. Um, no but, YouTube series. I'm surprised you're just not like recording and putting well, it out there. I'm, I've got stuff going on. I'm I'm writing. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm writing it's some stuff. The, the DL, yeah, the yeah. Hashtag. There's there's some stuff in motion, but in terms of stuff that you can view, um, nothing nothing of note to plug. But I will just say that um, it is. I'll just put this out there. It is my my dream and my vision um, to be on another amazing cable network show that runs for four seasons. And so mm. if you're listening, put you'd it like there. to put me in your show, I am going to be very available when all of this is over. So um, I cannot wait to get to be with other actors and be on set and create things. My favorite thing is that to create and be part of stories that make people laugh, but that have a ton of heart. And I think yeah. we're going to want that more than ever when this is over. So I, I just, yeah, I, I have a feeling that um, things are going to change as far as content goes going forward. And that is a very exciting prospect for all of us, I think. Yeah. We're just going to want to gobble up all of the mm-hmm. new stuff. And so I just can't wait to get back to work, but it was really, it's so nice to, you know, I'd, I've never met you guys in person and it's so nice to get to chat with you guys about all of this stuff and sort of feel like it's not so far away for a moment. So right. thank you for yeah. that. Oh, you're welcome. welcome. And you know, whenever we're in LA, we'll go to El Coyote and have ourselves a very delicious Mexican. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and where can we find you on social, Bane? Just let everyone know. Yes. I'm, I'm Bane Gibby. I'm easy to find. Um, just my name on Twitter and Instagram and everything. So Awesome. Thank you again. Stefan, will you lead us out? Yes. Uh, Thanks again for joining us, everybody, for MLVC, the Madonna podcast. Uh, We'll be with you again momentarily in the near future. So stay tuned. Uh, You can find us on social at MLVC podcast. Um, We're on Twitter. You know, you can stream and download all of our podcasts on Apple and Spotify and Google Play and um, yeah, that's about it. Thanks for joining yeah. us, everyone. Bane, we're so happy for- that Thank we're able to- on the show. Oh, it was my pleasure. Yeah. It was so much fun. Thanks, guys. And we're always very happy to, you know, spend time with you during this pandemic and hopefully bring a smile to your face and, uh, you know, inspire you to listen to more Madonna. You know, it still works for me. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bye, guys. See you next time. <laughs>